I am so excited that we are into season three of my podcast, Stories of Unconscious Bias. When I first began this podcast, I had no idea that it would take off. I began it because I genuinely want more people to listen, reflect and learn about how our life experiences can influence us in ways that we cannot begin to imagine. Due to the wonderful candid stories my speakers have shared, I now know that my podcast is ranked in the top 5% globally. I want to thank all my speakers for this huge achievement. As always, if you enjoy it, please do share, rate and review. Thank you for listening. Welcome listeners. This afternoon, I'm speaking to Harry Sewell. Harry is founder and director of HS Consultancy and is a former executive director of health and social care in the NHS. He's a writer and speaker in a specialist area of social justice, equalities and ethnicity, race and culture in mental health. Harry is an honorary senior visiting fellow at the University of Central Lancashire and specialist guest lecturer at the University of Bradford. Harry has had various books, articles and book chapters published with new material emerging regularly. He has also worked with another local campaigner to secure services for survivors of sexual violence and currently runs a campaign, Men Supporting Women's Rights, Including Men Against Rape. He is increasingly studying forms of masculinity and the possibilities in practice and employee relations to recognize the intersections between masculinity and other aspects of identity. So as you can imagine, I am hugely looking forward to sharing and hearing Harry's stories of unconscious bias. Thank you so much, Harry, and welcome. Thank you. So Harry, unconscious bias, what do you understand by those two words? Hmm. Well, I guess the simplest way I think about it is that depending on who we are, we see or hear something different when we interact with others and depending on whom we're interacting with we see or hear something different um, and that interacting could be with a real person or the notion of a person maybe in care services through their records and if we have a view about the characteristics of that person or group of people then the information we're gathering about them is informed by who we think they are. Mm, so that's, that's why I really a full stop. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Because what, what you said is a, a real person, or perhaps, and when you mean by not a real person, I'm paraphrasing, it's a document you've got in front of you and you're reading something about an individual you've never even met. And you've already have opinions on that individual. That's fascinating. Um, if you could share uh, some stories of unconscious bias of yours, your stories. Yeah, sure. I mean, one that I refer to a lot is uh, a couple of years ago, I was pre presenting a paper to two NHS boards. Now, to put this into context, they were having a major reconfiguration of services, which meant closing a hospital, opening a new one, moving staff um, from different sites and changing their contracts and, you know, having to think through travel arrangements. So it was a major program of activity. And they had a day when various in the, uh, independent consultants who were working on different aspects of this program of work would present particular aspects pertinent to their area of knowledge. So we're all their professionals presenting. I had presented a paper in the morning 
uh, and it was well received. At a break in the afternoon, one of the members of the board who had heard my presentation said, you know, thanks, um, you know, that was really, really helpful, very professional. Um, at which point I became unprofessional because I chuckled um, because I was aware that the person who had said this had been intending to compliment me. Um, but, you know, I asked the question on a day when you've got, you know, NHS boards funding external people to deliver work on the basis of their CVs and the quality um, of their work, their track record, where we're all professionals, why would there be a need? to note that what I did was professional and I sometimes joke and say it's a bit like standing at the end of the 100 metres final and when Usain Bolt comes in you say oh wow this guy you run really fast don't you that's amazing and you kind of think well well what did you expect it's like you know this is what I do this is why I'm here you sound surprised and to me there's that degree of you know surprise or it would be feigned surprise so that yeah that's and that's typical of my experiences that don't come from someone's malevolence but it's just an area that they're not seeing it's an area that they're not seeing and i'm chuckling as you chuckled at the time um but but so that's but that's from someone area someone else's area of unconscious mm. bias yeah. what about you harry what kind of you know you've had so many different life experiences sure. um you know, I, I mean, it would be great for you perhaps to share a story of, I don't know, where were you born? How were you brought up? I have no idea. I'm making it up. But some mm. sort of um, life experience of yours mm. that impacted on you to give you unconscious biases without you realizing it. And you do now, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that really strikes me is when I listen to Radio 4 and, well, that bit's relevant when I listen to the news. Um, and because I don't watch TV, I kind of get you know, the audio. So um, I catch myself when they introduce the you know, scientist who's led on a particular project. And I remember you know, one morning um, after they introduced their guest on the day program, and then a woman's voice came over. And I noted that dissonance in my mind at the time when I thought, oh, wow, um, yeah, I, I had turned this unknown person again. You know, it wasn't a real person in front of me. But, you know, the context that, you know, this was, you know, one of the world's renowned scientists in this particular field. Um, my brain had just kind of taken me into, right, okay, so this is a man. And I didn't even think that through until I experienced the dissonance of, you know, the fact that what I heard was a woman's voice. I'm chuckling now because I realise what you're saying, because you're saying essentially that, that you assumed when you were hearing the radio and the, <coughs> and, the, and the presenter was saying, I'm going to bring in so-and-so scientist, the assumption was obviously it would be a male voice. Yes. Uh, and, and that's about stereotypes, isn't it? And, and these kind of things give us unconscious biases. But, no, but, but, but what else, though? Because, because of the kind of work that you are, you, you know, you're working with, um, you know, where, you, where you talk about... Uh, identity, for example, what does that mean to you in terms of unconscious bias? What does aspects of identity mean? Because those are big words which I read out a minute ago, and I'm really curious to to know more about what that means and your unconscious biases. Well, the kind of idea of gender um, is something that I explore uh, a lot, you know, particularly pertaining to myself as a man and what it means to be male. 
um, and whether or not society in its dominant view of what maleness or masculinity is, whether or not I have internalized that to such a point that I can't shift from that. Um, so I, you know, I kind of, you know, a typical example for me is, you know, I was in Jamaica um, a few years ago and there was a, effectively a police officer, it was um, uh, um, someone who supports the tourist industry. So it was kind of a quasi police force. Anyway, um, he said he was going to direct me to somewhere I had asked for. And he said, you OK going down there? I said, yeah, I'm kind of fine with that. Um, he said, well, so what, you're a bad man then. Um, and I said, well, no, nah, nah, I'm not really about that life. And he said, oh, but if someone steps to you, you can defend yourself though, right? Um, and I kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, man, of course, of course. Um, and I walked away thinking, right, OK, so this kind of dominant view as a man that, you know, if you have an encounter that you have to kind of become this alpha male who's going to kick butt, um, even though I spend a lot of work on myself trying to, you know, remove the idea that violence is the way to solve problems and so forth, that in that challenge, you know, I couldn't just say to the guy, well, actually, you know, given the choice, I'd always sidestep an opportunity to engage in violence as the kind of dominant way in which people um, settle their disputes. I just defaulted back into that. Yeah, of course, man, of course, like someone stepped to me. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. Walking away thinking, A, that is not authentic to my true self. And B, actually, I don't want to be stepping to anybody. It's like, I don't think that I'll come out on top anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that whole bravado um, and trying to deal with these deep, rooted and ingrained patterns of behavior but also the kind of sense of who i am you know i am male and you know without even naming all the characteristics that denote my maleness i know my brain stores them and even when i try and surrender them through my meditation and you know reflective practice society is still telling me but you know, this is this is who you are so that's yeah a real personal example no, but this is really a very interesting, Harry, and I'm glad for you, you know, I'm grateful that you brought this up. Um, because I, if you don't mind, I think for the listeners to, to appreciate this even more, I think it might be relevant if you do expand on what you perceive or what you understand with your work experience and so on to be the expected male behavior. What does that, I mean, what are the real words that you would use to describe that? Well, guarded um tough um emotionally contained very cerebral um detached as a consequence of what i've just said and yeah yeah i kind of you know strong like you know to maximize the full poten potential of one's physicality um so yeah you know whether it's going to the gym or being fit or using the potential to fight that you know those ideas to maximize the full potential of your physicality um is kind of seen as you know an aspect of maleness and um, that's that's fascinating because research has been done and i know you probably know it already but just for the point of listeners to know that brains have been looked at male brains and female brains and guess what there is no difference a brain yes. is a brain and it's about our wiring and so 
if we come back to, to the topic of hand, which is stories of unconscious bias, what you're essentially saying, and I'm just trying for all of us listeners and myself to understand, is that men, a majority of men, because society expects men to behave in a certain way, fall into patterns of behavior, which then wire their brains in such a way that it becomes, for want of a better word, a habit or a default way of behaving. And what you are doing specifically is trying to, what is the word, and, you know, to, to, to take it apart and rewire mm. the way you were brought up, perhaps. Is that what you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I try and disrupt the norms and I also try and dismantle the frameworks and unlearn the things that I have learned as the norm. And Can you give us another story to explain that to us? Because that's what will make it wonderful. What does that mean? What does that look like? To dismantle? Or... Yeah, well, a, st a story of, of, of your unconscious bias and, and then perhaps followed by the dismantling. Sure. Um, so I was running a training course um, with a colleague and it was a rainy day. There were um, 41 people in the room. And um, at the end of the session, um, there was an umbrella in the room and you're going to love this. Um, so there were, as I said, 31 delegates. At the end, I was speaking with my co-facilitator and we said, um, ah, someone's left the umbrella. We're going to need to phone over to the administrator who had managed the logistics to get everyone there just to say we've got this umbrella. Can this person work out um, who it belongs to? So we then engaged in a conversation um, and we noted that there were um, two women at the back who had sat there. Um, there was one woman at the front and another woman um, over by the wall near the radiator um, and we're trying to work out well it's likely to have been one of the two women who are at the back um, so yeah we'd kind of narrowed it down um, out of the four to those two women um, so if anyone's following the story by now you will have worked out that the umbrella was probably pink or purple it was pink um, and there were 31 people in the room but there were 27 who were left out of any kind of you know guessing as to who <laughs> might have owned that umbrella um because they clearly obviously it wasn't one of the men's umbrellas that's obvious because it was pink i mean you know obviously i'm saying that somewhat tongue-in-cheek <laughs> yes of course hmm. keep going <laughs> so so yeah so in the moment um having uh just done a, a course thinking about these things just kind of defaulting into the norms and you know one of the aspects of unconscious bias is that often it's because it's obvious it's it's you know, it's obvious that it would have been one of the women's um even though actually that's a stereotype and that's a kind of unformed way of thinking about possibilities um so you know what i do to address my own unconscious bias is to try and practice noticing when I'm making judgments based on, you know, data which isn't substantiated by fact, um, but also to try and spend time in arenas that disrupt what has become my norm. So whether that is to, you know, see men um, who behave different to the alpha male model of masculinity um, or to read material that just kind of gets me 
to you know drop into other people's worlds to you know watch films that tell stories um of men doing things that you know are tapping into you know the kind of sensitivity as a possibility or kind of empathy as a possibility um and to kind of note also that if I continue to just feed, for example, if all I did was to kind of watch action movies um, <laughs> and, you know, films that portray that dominant model of masculinity, all it does is to reinforce hmm. that that is the norm. And the striking thing about that, as I said, is that it takes something intentional to go and disrupt and to you know find alternative representations of masculinity because when you live in a world <coughs> excuse me when you live in a world that has a dominant way of portraying masculinity it means that the material that's going to be more available to you whether it's books or films or tv programs or just the dominant discourse in society those things that are readily available are, are likely to reflect the dominant view as to what masculinity means so to find an alternative requires as i've just said that intentionality that intent to go and look for it and therefore to engage with that material um and when we do is a sign i think of real strength that actually we're not just being swept along by that dominant the hegemony um but that we're deliberately choosing to do something different which is a sign of strength that's my point so when we think about what strength is actually going swimming against the tide takes a lot more strength than it does just being swept along no there are a few things here that i just want to kind of recap for my own understanding and for the listeners um one which i'm sure the listeners would want to know is were you proven right was it a woman's umbrella um we don't know Okay. We, um, sent it. I would have loved it to the... if you had said to me that it's a gentleman's umbrella and I was wrong. That would have been a wonderful extra added on to your story. And of course, in relation to, to pink and blue, I'm sure you know that in the 18th century, little boys yes. and little girls of, of certainly the upper classes in the US and the UK <coughs> and so on uh, wore pink. Pink, pink yes. was their color, men. Yes. Um, but yeah. somewhere along the line, of course, that changed. But no, that's that's by the by. I think the point yeah. that you're making about swimming against the tide is very powerful you talked about strength and i would use the word bravery um mm. because it is a brave thing to do it is just so much easier to have the status quo uh, to 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 go with the tide and to agree with what everyone else is saying and to actually stand out is a very brave thing to do and it's not easy so strength and bravery i think go hand in hand absolutely no, so i agree and another story perhaps harry that you could share uh one of my own bars or you know bars that I've encountered yours would be fantastic it's always more powerful when we're hearing our own stories about ourselves because i mean that's the point so the listeners appreciate that you i and anyone else we've all got unconscious biases well yeah i'm a sports um person and you know i'm an athlete and you know i'm aware that you know often when you know there are conversations about you know sport and you know what's worth watching that you know my mind would still default um to you know thinking of you know even the example i gave about you know same bolt um you know is an indicator that at the forefront of my mind you know prowess in athletics you know is what the men kind of do and you know come to represent and you know i've kind of found myself you know having to think differently um when i hear about a sports competition 
um, to not just default into you know, given privilege to the male game. And that's kind of, you know, taking a bit of work. And you know, recently, um, you know, seeing the women's football, you know, getting a lot more attention, um, you know, has been a shift for me. So, again, just that lazy thinking of when we think of sport, <coughs> excuse me, when we think of sport, to just think of the male game is something that I've had to, you know, kind of bring into my own awareness. That's 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 good to know. But, you know, you, you, you talked about that first story when when someone said to you about how professional you were and then you chuckled in response. Certainly, I took something away and that was how you responded. But, you know, obviously you would have experienced other people's unconscious biases towards you as the example that you that we started with. Um, when you experience other people's biases towards you or equally importantly, when you have your own unconscious biases, you mentioned that certainly one of the things you do is you try and become strong and you go against the tide. But that's easier said than done. And most of us might find it extremely difficult to be brave and strong. So what kind of kind of, you know, easy lessons perhaps have you taken away that something simple that maybe we can all try and work on and try and improve to challenge our own unconscious biases? Yeah, I think um, understanding what the dominant story is about a particular social group um, and just realising where we've internalised it. And what I mean by that is if, for example, we kind of go back to masculinity and femininity to to listen, to attune my ears to when women are spoken about, like, you know, what's the background message in that? Um, you know, because we often don't have stories that represent women as and as great thinkers and, you know, being at the top of FTSE 100, you know, companies that, you know, what's the general story? And the general story is that, you know, men are the creators, men are the ones who kind of hold um, the world together. And that, you know, occasionally you get an outlier who's a woman who can kind of join the rail, the um, realms of malehood um, in a way. But, you know, they're just the odd case. Um, and to notice that, to, to tune in to when we hear news reports or we see films that, you know, have the woman always chasing the man or, you know, the woman only speaking in relation to a man, to just start noticing. That, to me, is the first step. Because when things are invisible to us, we that's exactly it. We just don't realise it because it's the dominant way of things in our society. We just don't notice the messaging. Um, so finding ways to notice the biases and the way in which this dominant narrative about particular social groups just comes at us through all the forms I've mentioned before, I think is the first stage. Once you start noticing it, then you're no longer at its mercy. That's the point is whilst it's invisible, we are at its mercy. And I think the second point, uh, which you said right in the beginning, that I want our listeners uh, to, to appreciate, was the choice of words that you made. Because I, to me, that was very powerful. I and mean, I chuckled along with you. But they were still very powerful. And the fact is that, listen, we all have unconscious biases. And someone out there may say something to us because they haven't noticed the, the dominant expectation of whatever it might be. And they might say something to you, but rather than feeling offended and taking it personally, chuckling or, or responding in a, in a gentler way, 
is a far more effective way, I think, for both people to understand and learn, would you say? I mean, why yes. did you chuckle? Why were you not, you, know, you could have had any kind of reaction, but your instinct was to chuckle. What's that about? <laughs> well, I guess um, th there's a power play on my part, um, because it's the joke of, you know, I can see something that you can't, um, which is, you know, quite amusing um, to me. So I guess, you know, <clears throat> that probably less kind part of me wasn't like mocking, but it was more just thinking that you can't see what you've just done um, and you don't know how familiar that is. So that was kind of amusing. Um, one of the things I really note about my privilege is the pernicious impact of other people's biases isn't as real in my life as it might be for someone who comes from a different socioeconomic background and who might experience physical forms of violence as a result of other people's unconscious biases. So I also treat lightly people's biases because I study, I can understand that often it's literally outside of their awareness. And, you know, I can choose whether or not it affects me um, by chuckling. If, however, I were seeing, so for listeners, you know, I've got dreadlocks, um, black, you'll probably see I'm Black Caribbean um, man, that if I'm out of uniform, as I like to say, and I'm just on the streets um, in my joggy suit, then I just become another black guy with dreads out there. And my experience could end up with violence as, you know, from, you know, something state sponsored or from any other source um, based on my race. And if that happens, I would find it less easy to chuckle about it. So even in that process of treating it with lightness, I also reflect on the privilege and to not let that be an invisible bias on my part. That's brilliant. That's so very powerful. I'm not going to add to that anymore. Harry, Harry Sewell, thank you so much for sharing your stories and your learning on unconscious bias. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Stories of Unconscious Bias. If you enjoyed hearing this episode, do tune in every Saturday for a new interview. And if you could share, leave a review and rating, that would be hugely appreciated. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Smitha Tharoor, and feel free to suggest new guests. Until next week.